are so pleased and privileged to be here to hear about Ethel. We're still in contact with Ethel, so we were aware of much of that, seeing the pictures on Facebook and so on. And she was, uh, I know she was a blessing to you as a church and to families in the church. Uh, she was a blessing to us, and we worked hard together to see God enrich her and make her more whole and therefore more fruitful, which I think is probably what we all need, isn't it? That we become more whole and therefore we become more fruitful. I've been really struck this morning in the, in the meeting of the, about the presence of the Holy Spirit and in the worship, just fantastic. Uh, and hearing some of the stories, I, I don't know if it's my own filters, but just making the connection for me that actually everything that was shared was really about the gospel. It sometimes said that the gospel of Jesus Christ consists of three things, all beginning with W. It consists of words. And we heard this morning about opportunities that God gave even timid people like me, that God gave timid people an opportunity to share their faith uh, in the workplace, which is fantastic. Words, because without words, which are an explanation of who we are and how we are, people are still lost. So the gospel is words, and we heard about that this morning. And the gospel is not just words, of course, but the gospel is also wonders. And we heard about God healing people uh, this morning, and sticks being raised in the air and, and no longer present, which is just fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, you could be excited, church. So, so the, gos- the gospel is about words and the gospel is about wonders, but the gospel is also about works. And we've just seen that demonstrated to us, that the gospel is about getting socially involved in transforming not just individuals, but transforming cultures and transforming, dare we say it, transforming nations, actually, that God would do that sort of thing. And believe me, Ethel would have a vision to transform her nation. So don't just think about a top layer to her business. She'll be going for it. And uh, so grateful to the generosity of this church, which I know over many years to be generous-hearted in facilitating that sort of stuff. Well, it is good to be with you. I'll tell you one of the reasons why it's good to be with you. I have fled my home this weekend because a hen party is taking part, placed in my home uh, this weekend, and whatever else I am, I'm not a hen. And so... I've left nine of my daughters, she's getting married, which is wonderful, at the beginning of September to a wonderful, lovely, godly Christian guy from Switzerland, which is great, but he's moved across to Inverness, which, uh, oh, I, won't, I haven't got time to tell you the whole story, but it's a real God thing. And, but they're having the hen party, so I came with a, a glad heart uh, to be with you, uh, really, really, really glad heart to be with you, and uh, I was just reflecting, you know, as, as I was travelling, it's... I, some of you, we've, we've journeyed together as a church, uh, I with you, over many years. I honestly don't know how many. Dick will have a better idea, but it's many, uh, many years now. And uh, you, so you'll know, some of you will know the backstory. Some of you will know that I've got uh, two wonderful children, both with a passion for Jesus. I've got my daughter, Freddie, who is our eldest. Uh, my son, Joshua, uh, who she, so she's 28 now this September, 28 and my, daughter, my son is 26, just turned, and I'm thinking, how did that happen? You know, it seems like no time at all uh, since we, my wife and I have been married for a few years. As many of you will know this story, so I'll, I'll just mention it in brief. And we were trying to have a family, and we were trying to have a family, and we were going on trying to have a family, and, and nothing was happening. Well, lots was happening. We were enjoying the practice, but we weren't, you know, we weren't falling pregnant. And uh, eventually we had medical tests, and we were told by the doctors, we were told definitive by the doctors, we wouldn't be able to have children. Physically, we wouldn't be able to have children, and, and we were devastated. And long story short, God stepped in. 
and brought healing at, at every level you could imagine, physical healing, spiritual healing, emotional healing to both my wife and to me, and, and our children are naturally born miracle kids of God, which is fantastic, isn't it? Isn't God wonderful? Absolutely. Just wonderful. But they're 28 and 26 now, and I can't, where did that go? And this morning I want to talk uh, about, uh, I want to talk about growing up. I want to talk about growing up. So just help me, would you? This is your moment, the bit that you always dread when the speaker does something like this. I just want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to look them in the eyes, and I want you to say to them, you need to grow up. Would you just, would you just do that? Would you just do that? <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> Can I say... Some of that was said with a little bit too much venom, if you don't mind. <laughs> so, not quite what I was after. Okay, one, one other little exercise for you. Just to turn again to the person next to you, look at them eye to eye and say, and I need to grow up too. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a, it's a little bit strange, but that second one was a bit quieter and a little bit shorter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But actually, of course, for any growing up starts here. It doesn't start with us looking at somebody else and saying, "Oh, you, oi, pal, you need to grow up." For goodness sake, sort your life out. You need to grow up. Growing up starts here. It starts with us. It starts with the individual. And so, I want to speak this morning about spiritual maturity, um, which is the goal. It is the great goal. I think about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Apostles, the Jew amongst Jews, the, 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 the Apostle who never actually physically saw Jesus, but saw Jesus in the Spirit, had that remarkable revelation, heard his voice. The Apostle who planted church upon church upon church, with team upon team upon team, and raised up other Apostles, and, and, and planted churches from Jerusalem all the way to southern Illyricum, with kind of Albania in this, this day and age. This incredible Apostle of God. And, and he summarizes what our goal is. I'm going to read it to you. You don't need to turn to it, because our main reading is from a different passage. But let me just read a couple of verses to you um, from the book of Colossians. 1 Colossians. And uh, I'll start at verse 28. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. In a nutshell, saying, this is the goal. We need to grow up. We, speaking about Jesus, we proclaim him. The, the word proclaim there, in the original language, is, it's a missiological verb. It means we, we herald, we speak out, we evangelize. The word is literally euangelizasthai. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching. That's an interesting word as well. The word there is didache, which is one of the root words for discipleship. So we've got mission and we've got discipleship wrapped up in these first few words. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that, here we go, here's the goal, so that we may present everyone mature, depends on the version that you're looking at, mature or whole or perfect or complete, the word is teleos in the Greek, we may present everyone perfect in Christ to this end, says Paul, this great apostle amongst apostles, to this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, energeo is the word, the mighty energy of God which is so powerfully at work 
within me. So we have a sense from this apostle of apostles, this Jew of Jews, that, that this is the goal. This is the direction. I'm setting my face in this direction. The goal is that we might do all this stuff, all this missional stuff. We might do all of this stuff in order that we might grow up. We might become spiritually mature. That is the goal. And that word teleos is the word that's used most commonly in the New Testament for mature or maturity or maturing. That's the word, that's the goal. Now I want to read us a, f- a few verses now uh, from a passage in scripture which it might help you uh, actually to turn to. And we're going to read from the very beginning of the second book of Peter. So this is written by Peter, the apostle, um, and um, he's one of the three that are closest to Jesus. Peter, James, and John are three amongst the twelve that are the closest to Jesus, that come in for particular uh, opportunities, particular teaching that the other apostles do not. And Peter is writing here, at the beginning of his second book, he's writing about maturity. Now, let's just pause for a moment and think about the irony of this, all right? Because I, I find this so encouraging. I find this so inclusive, that Peter is writing about maturity, Any Peter writing about maturity is good as far as I'm concerned, but this is Peter the Apostle who's writing about maturity. So we just need to remind ourselves a little bit about his background, because we know, don't we, you know the stories, you've heard the preachers tell them. This is Peter who is always insecure. This is Peter who is always a loudmouth. This is Peter who is always, like most Peters, always... Always overstating it, things. This is, this, is the, this is the Peter who gets taken up the mountaintop experience, has this incredible uh, revelation of Jesus, who's there with, uh, represented with, the, with the, the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah. And instead of saying, let's follow Jesus, let's build a temple to Jesus, he comes down and says, let's build three temples, because he's always over the top and overstating it. This Peter who, I mean, he's, he's a bit... He's not very mature, is he? So Jesus calls him out of the boat. At least he got out the boat. Nobody else did. But if you read the story, he gets dressed before he gets out the boat. Nobody does that when you're at sea. You take clothes off, put your swimming trunks on. But, you know, he's going to walk on water, at least for a while. Glug, glug, glug. Huh? This is Peter, who, who, when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, says, you're not washing my feet, I'm not worthy. And Jesus says, God, let me wash your feet, otherwise you're not part of me. And then what's Peter's response? Wash me all over. It's always over the top, always overstated, always insecure. This is Peter who repeatedly says to Jesus, I'll paraphrase it, but it's often saying to Jesus, Jesus, I really wish you'd stop talking about the cross. I really wish you'd stop talking about going to Jerusalem to die. Because it really upsets us. You know, he's got no idea what's going on. And then this is Peter who says, well, all right, if you must go to Jerusalem, if you must go to the cross, we'll go there with you, and we'll be there for you, and we'll die for you, and we'll never leave you, cock-a-doodle-doo. Yeah? (laughs) Peter, insecure. And here he is, writing about maturity. And I just find that encouraging, because of the reality of Scripture. Not prettying it up, but being inclusive of people like you and me in our insecurities and in our weakness. Because do you know what? If we'll just keep on towards the goal, which is maturity in Christ, then his strength is made perfect in our weakness. And his grace then abounds and the glory goes to him, which is where it is deserved. So let's just read a few verses from Second Peter. Kicking in at the top. 
uh, of the book. Simon Peter, I like that. You see what he's doing there? So, again, let's remember, this is Simon uh, playing with the, 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 the names from the original language, whose name, Simon, sounds like the same word in Aramaic for a, a reed, something which is weak, something which is easily bruised or easily broken or easily done, very, not very strong. And Jesus says, you've been Simon, but now I'll call you Peter. And again, Jesus is playing with the name using from the Greek, Petra, uh, a rock. So that which has been weak will become something which is strong and which can be built upon. And on this rock, says Jesus, I will build my church. And so here we are at the start of the book with Peter remembering who he has been, but who he is now. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle, apostle or sent one, of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance, in abundance, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Bless you. And again. <laughs> to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Can you see the process there? Can you see how he's building? It's a growing crescendo of maturity. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them... He is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that fantastic? It's a passage of all about growing. It's a passage about process. It's a passage about maturity. And there are three things. Well, let me first of all start, and it's, it's, there, it's there in verse, uh, verse 2, isn't it? So this is about grace and peace. I'm not talking about striving. I'm not talking about struggling. I'm not talking about doing it in your own strength. I'm not talking about gritting your teeth and trying to be a better Christian because that just doesn't work. That's a gospel of works. This has got to be birthed in us through grace and not through strife but through peace which is where he starts in verse 2. And note as well in verse 2, I read it twice, didn't I? Abundance. 
abundance. Church, there's always more. There's always more. That's why I got you to do that silly little thing at the start. Because you know what? Every single one of us does need to grow up. Because it doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Jesus or how short you've been walking with Jesus. He is part of the amazing good news. There's more. There's more. There's always more. It's grace and it's peace and it's in abundance. It's the lavishness of the love of the Father, as it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. So, three things that I want to I wanna leave with. Three little tips, three hot tips, I think, about, about growing up. What must I do to grow up? What must this Peter do to grow up? What must we do to grow up? Three little suggestions uh, to you. The first thing I think... Uh, is there in verse 3. His divine power has given us, at past tense, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power. So if we're going to grow up, if I'm going to grow up, if we're going to go for the goal, which is, which is teleos, which is wholeness, completeness, maturity in Christ, the first thing we need, I think, is to be consumed by Holy Spirit power. Hello? To be consumed by Holy Spirit power. And it says here that he's already done this. His divine power, the word that's used there is the most common word in the New Testament for power, which is the word dunamis, giving us the word dynamite, the dynamite power, the dunamis power of God. And if we're going to grow up, it's not about struggling, and it's not about striving, and it's not about trying to be better, and it's not about trying to earn something, because that's a gospel of works. It's about grace and peace and the divine power of God. The dynamite power of God. And, and I, I need more and more, every day, every day, I need to be consumed by Holy Spirit power. Now, I'll let you in on a little secret, one of the little habits that I've developed for very, very many years, and I don't know how many years now, but, um, and I've probably told you before, but you'll all be pleased to know that I start every day with a shower. Yeah, and you're all the recipients of the blessing of that this morning, let me tell you. I start every day as I grow closer to you, there's nothing to fear, all right? I've, I had a shower this morning at Dick and Mex, so they look after me so well, they provide me with a shower. It's fantastic. Uh, but one of the things that I do every morning, without fail, in the shower, is I, uh, I use the shower as, a, as a, an image. It reminds me that I need to be washed. I need, I need to not forget, as we've read at the end of that passage, I don't want to forget that I've been cleansed. I don't want to forget that I've been forgiven and that I've been washed clean. So as I stand under the shower head, I, I thank God for his cleansing power and for his washing me clean of my sins. But I'm also thinking, I'm getting saturated here, I'm getting wet here, I'm getting wet through, and then I'm starting to pray, and the word for that in, in, in the New Testament is, uh, is baptizo, <laughs> to be baptized, to be washed, to be saturated, to be doused, and then I'm saying, come Holy Spirit, like this water, and saturate me, and fill me afresh today. Not only cleanse me, but fill me. Because I need to be consumed by Holy Spirit, by divine power, every day. Every day, because I leak. Because I go through the day and, and things come against me and things go wrong because that's the nature of a living in a fallen, broken world as a fallen, broken person. I leak, and I need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. But if I'm full of the Holy Spirit, at least what I'm leaking is Holy Spirit. Does that make sense to you? 
So we need to be consumed by Holy Spirit power. And uh, Chris Bird is a good friend of ours, a good friend of DNA, he's a friend of mine, I've known him a good number of years. He teaches on the DNA course. I I was so pleased to hear uh, what happened for those of you that that were here last, uh, last Sunday. Absolutely fantastic. But that must not be a one-off occasion. That cannot be that. I had a guy come up um, last week uh, from one of the churches that I look after, and it's not appropriate for me to tell his story, but he's, in, he's, a, he's at a crossroads place. And he came up just to spend a, kind of find a sailor moment, a, a bit of space for God to speak to him. And sure, he felt, his, as I asked him what he wanted out of the 24 hours that he had with me, um, he said, I feel like a, a wire has got disconnected somewhere. I feel like I've, I've lost touch somewhere with the power of God and I feel a little bit disempowered and disconnected. And, but my heart is that I want to be mature. I want to be so appropriate to what I was wanting to talk about this morning. And as we talked and we prayed and I took him through his life's journey and so on, it became clear where some of those areas of disconnection had affected him, going right back actually into his childhood and then repeated patterns became clear. And we were able to pray and see God break in. And I'm looking forward to his story next time I'm back uh, in his church. He needed to be consumed with Holy Spirit power. I didn't, I didn't want him coming up. We'll call him Tim. It's not his name. I didn't want Tim coming up for a spiritual jab in the arm. Do you know what I mean? We don't want to wait for those moments when God's special men of power for the hour, Chris Bird, comes and, and, and does a teach and people get prayed for and fall over and get healed and, and, and all that sort of stuff. This, this is wonderful. And, and I'll tell you, Chris will be so blessed and Chris will give the glory to God. But we want to live there, don't we? We don't want to visit there. We want to live consumed by Holy Spirit power. Jesus talks about the need for when we, if we are to encounter Christ, then the first thing that needs to happen to us, John chapter 3, verse 5, is we must be born again of the Spirit. It's the work of the power of God. It's the work of the Spirit of God. We must be born again. There must be a time and a place and a space where we know that we, we yielded and we presented our dirty, filthy rags of, of, of our own righteousness and said, it's not enough, God. Cleanse me, forgive me, reclothe me in your righteousness. And there were those here this morning for whom that has not been that long since that happened. Might even be those here this morning and you've been churchgoer forever, forever and it's still not happened. But that's where it starts. Consumed by the born again. That's what Jesus said. You must be born again to Nicodemus. The divine power of God. But then in, in Ephesians and chapter 1 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul uh, uh, goes on and says, um, you know, as well as being born again, you need to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. You need to be owned by the Holy Spirit. The, you need to let the Holy Spirit be a deposit and a guarantee living in you so that you know who you belong to and you know where you're going. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just give birth to you but all spiritually, but also seals you and says, there you go, belongs to me, bought with a price. And we know where our ownership lies. I do not belong to myself anymore. I do not have the final say anymore about where I go or what I do or who I am or who I become 
or where my money will come from. Or I do not have that final say. I don't care what you do, or what God has called you to, what your job is, or what your family situation is. You no longer have that final say. Because we've been born of the Spirit. John 3 verse 5. And we've been sealed with the, with the Spirit as a deposit, a guarantee of our inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. But Paul goes on then in, in, in Ephesians, same book, in, in chapter 5, just a few verses later. And in verse 18 he says, and you must go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Not you must have been filled with the Holy Spirit when Chris Bird was here. But you must go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's Pete in his shower. <laughs> Every morning saying, oh God. Now, do you know what? Most times these days, I don't fall over in the shower. That's not very good anyway, is it really? Most times these days, I don't go all tingly. Or if I do, that's because it's suddenly gone cold on the water. Or, you know, it's, which is all the stuff that has happened to me in the past. And I love all of that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I love all of that. But most days I'm simply saying, I yield. I yield. I leak. Fill me. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. And it would be great to pray for some people this morning if you find that you've leaked and you don't think you're full. And you want to be filled again or you need to be filled for the first time with the Holy Spirit. It would be great to pray for some of you. We need to be consumed with Holy Spirit power. Here's the second thing that I want to say which you found. We just drop down uh, to verse 4. So his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So appropriate it. Have hold of it. Be consumed by divine. Put off the old and put on the new. Agree with God. When you look in your mirror, first thing in the morning after you've had your shower and you've prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you're on your way out the door and you look in your mirror, don't confess all the negative stuff about you, about your, your fears and your sins. And, but look in the mirror and say, I want to agree with you, God. I put off the old and I put on the new. Be consumed. Here's the second thing. Be confident in God's promises. Be consumed with God's power. Be confident in God's promises. Let's have a quick look at verse 4. Through these, it's talking about our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Be confident in God's promises. God's promises are like, uh, I don't know, they're like a hook. They're like something that we can grab hold of. If you were climbing up a rock face, and I've done a little bit of that, one of my friends is well tutored in that sort of stuff, and he's he's had me up rock faces and stuff, and it's it's like the you know the I forget what they call them, crampons or pitons or who knows what they are, but you can grab hold of them, that's for sure, as you're climbing them up up a rock face, or those little nodule things in a, in a gym where you climb up a rock face. God's promises are there for grabbing hold of. They're there for holding on to. If we're going to hit the goal, church, you must, must be confident in the promises of God. Of course, that means something else, doesn't it? It means you must know what they are. You must know what the promise... And I don't just mean how well do you know this, because none of us in this room knows this well enough, so let's not beat ourselves up over that. I'm specifically speaking to you as individuals. What are the promises of God to you? 
What has God said to you through his scriptures? Where are those verses that are alive to you in scripture that you're holding on to? Or maybe it came to you not just through scripture, but also maybe through prophecy, through pictures. What are the promises of God that you need to be confident in and that you need to be laying hold of? Can I say, this is always true, but it's especially true in the darkest, lowest moments. And my goodness me, you've had a few of those, haven't you, as a church? I I don't want to say too much about this, otherwise I'll end up crying and I don't want to upset other people. But since I was here last, two people that I've known for years, friends of mine from this church, are, are, are no longer walking with us. They're walking with Jesus, now, face to face. So they're better off... But we're worse off. We're the poorer for it. And God will help us with that. But holding on, being confident in the promises of God, that's always true, but it's particularly true when we're in the lowest and the darkest times. It's been said, hasn't it, by the poet, that the stars shine the brightest when the sky is the darkest. And it's the promises of God that we can hold on to. I think I've probably said to you before, you know, where I live, is, it's beautiful and we're surrounded by mountains. And from my house, uh, you can look out of our kitchen window and you can see the mountain range opposite. And the, you, there's a tree line. You can see the tree line. It's as, it's as straight as that. It's not artificial. It's a tree line. Uh, because as you go further up the mountain, of course, the further up the mountain, which is more exposed to the elements, the less soil there is, uh, nothing grows. And you see, you see the tree line where things stop growing and the top of the mountain is just rock. And we talk so often, don't we, about wanting the mountaintop experiences. And, they, and they're great, they're wonderful because they give us such a sense of view and such a sense of, of majesticness of God and creation. The, the mountaintop experiences where we gain perspective, it's fantastic, we can feel close to God up there. But it's not on the mountaintop that things grow. It's in the valley. You've got to drop down into our little valley, our little strath. That's where the sheep graze. That's where the stuff grows. In the valley times, that's where you find fruitfulness. And that's where we need to hold on and be confident in the promises of God. Holding on to truth. Holding on to God's word. I said to you before, church, I, I, I so need to find myself in this, in this book. This, that's how Jesus read this book, well, at least the Old Testament, which was his Bible. Jesus found himself in, in the story. We need to find ourselves. God, what are you saying? This is eternal truth. What are you saying to us for now through this truth? What is God's promise to you? If you... Are these examples, or is this something that God spoke to me about? If you struggle this morning, if you struggle at the moment across your life with fear, then maybe you need to be writing down, writing out, memorizing. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Maybe that needs to be stuck on the outside of your shower, at eye level. So that as you're showering and asking God to cleanse you and fill you, you can turn around and you can read out, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but rather the Holy Spirit of love Boldness, self-control, and a sound mind. What's the promise of God that you need to hold on to? 
if you struggle with fear? What's the promise of God that you need to hold on to if you struggle in the area of self-worth or self-image? So actually you don't look in the mirror at all as you go out because you don't like what you see. You don't like physically what you see, but you also don't like internally the person that you see. And you're disagreeing with God. You're wrestling with God because you don't like, maybe even as strong as you hate yourself. Maybe you need to be writing out Psalm 139 and verse 14. My wife and I both separately asked for that to be read during our wedding ceremony 32 years ago last month. And the reason is because both my wife and I came from backgrounds where we struggled with self-worth. And we struggle with self-image. Both of those things are different. Struggle with self-worth. Struggle with self But time to agree with God and hold on to his promise. Psalm 139 verse 14. For you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Time to agree that God knew me even as he was knitting me together in my mother's womb, I was not a mistake. I was not an accident and neither are you. Holding on, being confident in God's promise. Maybe if, maybe if your mind's in a whirl, maybe if you're a relatively baby Christian and you, you kind of, you, you met Jesus but you don't really understand how it all works together or Or maybe you've been a Christian forever and stuff has happened and now you're thinking, where was God in that? And you're confused and you can't seem to hold your thoughts together or keep on track towards the goal of maturity. Then maybe you need to be writing down and memorizing 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 23. For God is not a God of confusion or chaos, but a God of peace. Therefore, peace to you. Peace to you. So being consumed by Holy Spirit power, being confident in God's promises, and as I finish, the last thing I wanted to say, a little tip towards the goal, growing up in Christ, comes from verse 5 to verse 7. For this very reason, says Peter, make every effort. This This is Peter paraphrasing Paul, isn't it? I so urgently strive, I work hard with a mighty, not his own energy, his own strength, the energy of God to get people to be mature. Here's Peter's version. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, and we read it, goodness and and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love and so on. Here's my third tip. Be consumed with Holy Spirit. Be confident in God's promise. Be committed to your own progress. Be committed to your own progress. Church, if we would grow up, it starts with you. It doesn't start with looking at the other person saying, you need to grow up. It starts with looking at the other person saying, I need to grow up. And I am responsible for that. We don't take it out of the hands of God, but God looks to us. What does scripture say? God, having done all of these things, work out then your salvation. Who saves? God. What do we do? We work it out. We appropriate it. We live it out. We need to be committed to our own progress. This church... 
this is my responsibility. This is your responsibility as individuals. I go to too many places and occasionally visit churches, not let me say the churches that I have the privilege of serving regularly because I'm hoping we're on a different journey. But I go to too many places where the congregation suddenly seems to think that the responsibility for being matured in Christ is the, is the vicar's job. Or it's the pastor's job. Or if it's, if, if, they're, if it's someone in the youth group, or if it's your kids in the youth group, oh, well, that's the responsibility of the youth leaders. You know, or that's, you know, that, in this current setting, oh, it's Dave's responsibility, isn't it, to, to mature us. It's the leadership team's responsibility to mature us. No. It's our responsibility. It's my responsibility to be committed to my own progress. It's, a, it's about self-leadership, I suppose. Let me just read you a few verses. You don't need to turn to it. Let me just read you a few verses from Hebrews chapter 5. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. Who by, that's teleos, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Church, it's time to grow up. And you know me. And you know that I love you. But I'm not having a dig. I'm speaking first of all to me. But it's time that we keep on growing up. Some of that is about making good choices. Daily, every time your will cuts across the revealed will of God through his word, through, his, through fellowship with the saints, through the witness of the Holy Spirit. Every time we come to a crossroads like that, that like my friend Tim came to when he was up with me last week, we have a choice to make. So part of maturity, being committed to our own progress, is about making good choices. You know, there's a lot of stuff, I, I'll finish with, there's a lot of stuff talked about deep theological stuff, people wrestling with, you know, what is the nature of judgment? What is the nature of God's purpose in judgment? What, is, what does judgment look like? It, is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Lots of stuff, people wrestling with all that kind of... It's right that people do wrestle with that sort of stuff. But I just wonder, I just wonder, I just wonder whether part of God's judgment is this. He gives you what you choose. I wonder if that's part of God's judgment. He gives you what you choose. It was A.W. Toes who said a person is as holy as they want to be. God will give you life on your own terms. Can you hear me? Do you understand what I mean by that? So he's looking for us to make good choices, choices of surrender, choices of yielding. Because if you choose otherwise, he'll let you go down that path. Perhaps that's part of the nature of God's judgment, who by nature is not a judge. He will judge, but by nature he's a dad. He's a dad. So make good daily choices, Romans 12. Take you back to it, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Yield, surrender, be transformed on a daily basis. That's all we can do. Church, here's the good news. All we can do is stay yielded. All we can do 
to surrender to Jesus. And he says, Matthew 6, don't worry about tomorrow. Stay yielded. I'll grow you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just on a daily basis. Stay yielded. Church, it's time to grow up.